right, welcome to another episode of Stat Stories, the Stat Muse podcast where we take a deeper look at statistical intrigues throughout professional sports. I am Chad Shanks, once known for getting fired for a tweet, but now I got this pretty sweet gig with Stat Muse. And my name is Justin Kabatko, once known for creating and running basketballreference.com, and now known for nothing. Ah, well, you're known for this wonderful podcast that all the people are tuning into. And so we'd be amiss if we're going to do a statistical podcast about basketball and not touch on what's happening in the NBA right now. Where If you're going to turn on any NBA coverage, that's all you're going to hear about is this guy. I don't know if you heard of him. I think it's Stephen Curry. Have you heard of this guy? Stephen Curry, I believe Yeah, it I think is. he goes by Steve, though. Yeah, Steve Curry is just blowing up. So I know the basketball, I follow the stats, and this guy is just doing some crazy stuff. So we would be amiss if we did not at least address this in our inaugural season of Stat Stories. So sit back and we're going to talk about not just everything that he's doing that's absolutely insane, but how did we get to this point with a three-point shot going from a gimmick to now we have this scruffy faced little god you know that is changing the game so uh, from gimmick to god would have been a good title but we are married to this star wars theme so this we're gonna call episode six return of the dead eye all right justin let's open up we're gonna start with a little quote from a little guy you may have heard of called red Arbach. His name was Red, which is awesome. He told the New York Times in 1979, the year that the NBA was instituting the three-point shot, he said, and I quote, we don't need it. I say, leave our game alone. And then he theorized that the reason behind created, creating the shot was that TV panicked over the bad ratings. So maybe there, maybe that is so. Maybe that the NBA, the NBA instituted the three-point shot just to try to get more ratings. If so, if that was the case, well done, NBA. Very, very well done. Because like I said, you can't turn on the TV now with anything regarding sports without hearing about Steph and everything that Steph Curry is doing this season and the Warriors and just to revitalize interest in the game for some people and then the harbinger of doom for the game for other people, you know, depending on on their perspective. So the point is you can't turn on TV without hearing about Steph. So here's just to rattle off a couple of the records that Steph has either tied or broken this season, many of which were his own records, like most three-pointers in a season, most three-pointers in a game, most three-pointers in a month, most three-pointers in a week, um, most games with 10 threes made, most games with eight, seven, six, five, like name a three-point record, and this guy is pretty much shattering it this season. So we want to take a step back, and instead of just continuing to rattle on about Steph and how great he is, which we could do and fill fill an entire hour with that, and and it would be interesting because it is revolutionary what he's doing, but we want to dial it back again a little bit and say, how did we get to this point? How do we go from the three-point shot being looked at as a point of derision or looked at as a mockery of the game to now being arguably the most influential part of the game. So I have this question. If I'm going to ask anyone in the world, how did we get to this point? I'm going to ask Justin Kabatko. So Justin, 
tell me how how do we go from the three pointer being a gimmick to what it is today as you know an integral part of basketball lore? Okay, so let, let's go all the way back to the beginning. So I have a little trivia question for you. What was the first professional league in the United States to have the three-point shot? Uh, well, since I can only name maybe two leagues off the top of my head, we'll, we'll say the ABA. That would be a good guess. And actually, before I did some research for an article I wrote for the New York Times, that was my guess as well. But it's actually not true. So there was an, a league that was formed in the early 60s named the American Basketball League, the ABL. They only lasted a season and a half. Their first full season was 61-62. Then the next season they had some financial problems and just disbanded. But they actually had a three-point shot. Their three-point line was 25 feet out, so it was actually further than the, the current three-point line that's being used. Although, of course, along the sides, so it, was, Steph, yes. along the sides it was shorter. Steph range. What's that? Yeah, just Steph range, 25 exactly. feet. Exactly. Along the sides, of course, it was a little bit shorter. But... Um, the league actually really embraced the shot. The ABL embraced the shot. So the only full season they had, the average team took about eight three-pointers per game. But they didn't make many. They shot a little over 26% on average. So, uh, And as we'll see later on, the NBA did not really take to the three-point shot like the ABL did. But, you know, eight threes a game. Right now, that doesn't sound like a lot. But I think uh, compared to the first few years of the ABA and NBA, they actually sh shot uh, shot a lot more. And there was a guy named Tony Jackson who led the uh, ABL in three-pointers. He made 141, shot 383, so that's 36.8%, not too bad. But Jackson's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent here. But Jackson was actually banned for life from the NBA because of a point-shaving scandal that happened in the NCAA back in the early 60s. Now, the sad... What's that? I've never, I've never heard of this. Yeah, Tell, so... Go on, go on this tangent. I'm fine so with it. So, I was, think it was Tony Jackson and Connie Hawkins and Doug Moe, and I believe the fourth guy may have been Roger Brown. They were all banned from the NBA for life. Now, eventually, Connie Hawkins played in the NBA... Roger Brown and Doug Moe, I'm not sure. They played in the ABA. I don't know if they ever played in the NBA. Anyway, from what I read about Jackson, though, it's really sad. They actually did not have any evidence that he accepted money from anybody. So what happened was that he was offered a bribe to throw a game or shave points in a game. He refused that bribe. However, he never reported it. And so, therefore, the NBA said, well, okay, forget it. You're not going to play in our league. Hmm. So really strange. It, um, sounds like sounds like a conspiracy to me to keep out a guy who was uh, who was heaving up the three point shot that the NBA was hesitant to adapt. That's what it sounds like to me. Can you? Is there any legitimacy to that? Uh, what do you? I'm not sure what you're going for here. What, what's the? I'm saying it was a conspiracy that the NBA saw how good this guy was at three point no, shots. No, but this this if the reason brought, no the reason he was playing him, in the ABL is because the NBA banned him. So. Uh, okay. Well, but still, he never let the truth get in the way of a good conspiracy. Exactly. Theory. So Jackson, after the ABL folded, he went on and played in the ABA. Was a decent player. He made the All Star game in '68. But uh, kind of a shame that if if it's true that he actually the only thing he 
that he did was fail to report that somebody offered him a bribe, a bribe that he says he did not accept. That's kind of sad that he was never able to play in the NBA because of that. Do you believe him? I have no idea. What's... <laughs> I don't know if I believe him. I'm suspicious. So anyway, so okay, backing off this Tony Jackson tangent. So yeah, the ABL folds, and of course, the NBA did nothing about the three-point shot. ABA comes around 1967-68, and of course, they were trying to gain, gain some attention, so they probably figured, okay, we got to throw every gimmick possible into the game, so of course, they had the red, white, and blue ball, and and then, of course, the big thing they did was they had the three-point shot, which I believe is the same arc that the NBA uses today. And sort of another interesting thing about the ABA was that they were recording a lot of stats that the NBA didn't record at the time. And, in fact, there was several years before the NBA started recording them. So, like, the ABA did things like track player turnovers, offensive rebounds, those sorts of things, which the NBA didn't do until, like, the mid-70s, late-70s for turnovers. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so they have the three-point shot. First season, the average team takes about five threes per game, which, you know, today doesn't sound like a whole lot. But it, it seems like they were sort of, they were open to the idea of using the three-point shot. Now, if you go back to when the NBA adopted the rule, which was 79-80, the average team only took 2.8 threes per game back then. So ABA seemed to be a little more... Um, willing to embrace the shot than the NBA did at first. Now, what's kind of strange is that number increased for a few seasons and then reached a peak of 6.3 shots per game by a team in 1969-70. And then it fell off. And in fact, the last season the ABA was in existence, 75-76, the average team only took 3.93s per game. So I'm not sure why there was a dip there, but you know, it, it sort of fell after it reached a peak in 69-70. All right, so how do we go from we have the three three seasons, right, between the the AB the ABA going dormant and then the NBA adopting the three-point line. So how did, what's the thought process there? Do you know how does the NBA why do they finally give in and and add it? That's a good question, and I was hoping you might have some research to answer it because I wasn't really sure. I don't really know no, why I was, why they they um why they decided all of a sudden to to use the shot. No, I was I I was looking and I, f I found that quote from Red Arbach and you know some other quotes from coaches kind of you know decrying it and saying that it was bad for the game and things like that but I couldn't find you know any official documents or quotes from anyone saying you know this is this is why we did it this is why we're going to start having this three point line that we've been so against for for however many seasons so I don't know I I have no idea why they actually added it i mean i kind of like well i don't agree with arbach's sentiment that you shouldn't have the three-point shot but his reasoning may have been sound where he said you know what the game was sort of very unpopular at the time and that they were going to do it to increase tv ratings because remember we talked about in an earlier podcast that 1980 in the nba finals game six which was the deciding game of the series was shown on tape delay to most of the country so they definitely had a popularity problem. Now, I, I don't know that yeah. the three-point shot did much to fix that. Possibly, I think, like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and then later Michael Jordan had a much bigger part in that. But um, in terms of their uh, reasons for adopting the shot, I, I would say that, that sounds like a reasonable um, 
thing that they consider. All right, anyway, so the three-point line is instituted, and as you said, it it didn't exactly take off in popularity among the players and the coaches, right? Well, no, yeah, so actually, yeah, I said earlier, in that first season, teams averaged um, 2.8 three-point attempts per game. All right, now to put that into perspective, today, teams are averaging almost 3.3 three-point attempts in half of a quarter. So, yeah. So I mean, it's just you know, it's just night and day. It's just it's just a huge difference. And in fact, if you look through, um, it actually dropped in the second season. In the second season, 1980-81, they only teams only averaged two three-point attempts per game. Two. I mean, there's probably yeah. there's probably 150 players today who are taking two threes a game. And then back then, that, that yeah. was like that was the average team was taking that many in a game. It's almost like that's intentional. Like they were rebelling against the fact of even having a three-point line. And like the, the ones that they did shoot at that point were just accidents and they just they just had to throw it up. You know, how do you only attempt two a game? Yeah, you have to wonder if it's like the, those attempts were, you know, with the shot clock running down or something at the end of a game where they had to have a three to tie or, you know. It, it, it's, it's fairly clear from those numbers that it was not a weapon that they were they were trying to use every possession all right so to put it in perspective of how much it's changed if you look at that first season with the three-point line the nba every if you add together every team every player every game there were just over 1400 three-pointers made in that 7980 season which you know 1400 maybe that sounds like a lot but put that in perspective where the warriors just this season have over a thousand made just themselves you know so you look at 29 other teams add that together and so the league right now is up to close to 20,000 made three-pointers in this season so it's that's a little bit of, of a balloon wouldn't you say and the Warriors themselves, that first season, the Golden State Warriors made 27 three-pointers. As a team. As a team. The entire like season. one every three 20, games. 27. And now the Warriors are, you know, just blowing it up from three. That's about, yeah, what, four so, or five games for Steph. So let's, let's kind of walk through. We set up, we set the foundation. How do we... Where does the transition start? A lot of people that I've seen, like, videos and articles I've read kind of... You know, started with um, Michael Adams with our old, you know, our old favorite team, those '80s Denver Nuggets, with with our our good guy uh, Alex English. So a lot of people say that it started with Michael Adams and how he came in and started being one of the first three point marksmen, and then Reggie Miller, of course, comes in and just kind of blows it. Well, up. And also, and I think I, I think something you're leaving out though too is that those two seasons in the late '80s when Rick Pitino coached the Knicks. Those yeah, teams yeah, really yeah. embraced the three-point shot. I don't know. I mean, you're probably not old enough to remember when Patino was at Providence, but no. he had a Providence team. I mean, I've read yeah, about he it. He had a Providence team that he took to the Final Four, and actually Billy Donovan was his point guard. The Billy Donovan, the coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder, was his point guard, oh, yeah. and those guys just loved the three-point shot. So Patino took that philosophy to the NBA, and actually it was his first season, I think they were like 38 and 44 or something like that, but then the second season... They took like 14 threes a game, which for then was a huge number. And um, they went 52 and 30, I think. They made it to the second round of the playoffs. So, and then he left to go to Kentucky, I guess. Um, but anyway, 
Yeah, I think Rick Pitino and the Knicks definitely play a play a big part of this story. But is do you think is there anyone who is a a bigger catalyst than Reggie Miller? Reggie Miller coming in the league and just making the three pointer kind of what it is today. Well, I mean, I think there were various stages, he was right? Such so I think weapon. like Bird and Ainge probably played a role in the mid eighties. Um because like for example, Ainge in 88, 87, 88, Ainge made 148 threes. That was 56 more than the previous record. So that was like that may have been a time when teams said, "Hey, wait a second, you know, we can really make this a weapon." So you got that, yeah. but then you've got yeah, of course you've got the the uh, you know, emergence of guys like like Reggie Miller and and Dennis Scott and John Starks, those guys who in the mid-90s were jacking up threes all over the place. Now, of course, we have to mention at some point, I guess now is a good time, that in the uh, mid-90s, so like 93, 94 to 97, 98, or I'm sorry, 94, 95 to 96, 97, so three seasons, they used a shorter three-point line. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, and the numbers just went through the roof, but if I'm correct, it it didn't really help scoring or any of the offensive stats that much people were were heaving them up and in hopes that it would increase scoring in the nba and it really didn't have that right so yeah that that was the goal they they really the scoring had sort of really plummeted since the 80s and they were trying to to you know uh juice those numbers up a bit and so it actually had the reverse effect so the season before they shortened the three-point line the average team scored 101.5 points per game well, the first year with the shorter shot, it was 101.4. By the third season with the shorter shot, it was down to 96.9. So, I mean, a lot of this had to do with pace too. The game was really slowing down. But the the you know the the reason they changed the rule, they changed the 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 distance for the three point shot was to increase scoring, and it did not have that effect. In fact, scoring dropped like five points per game. But as you said, teams just started jacking up threes also. I mean, you know, it went from taking just a little under 10 three-point shots per game the season before the rule change to over 15 that first year with the shorter line. Yeah, and they were bricking all of them, just chunking chunking them off the iron. <laughs> so, how, But then how do we transition a little? This I'm going to make this awkward-ass segue here. How do we transition from from that, you know, the NBA pushing the three-point line and pushing people to shoot more only to have it kind of backfire to the gradual progression to what we have now where every team is intentionally taking 33s a game. So what kind of what let's talk a little bit about the appeal of the three-pointer, you know, from a statistical standpoint and then maybe we can get into what I think is the appeal of it from the the fans' perspective and why why fans love it so All right, I'm going to throw some really heavy math at you, okay? So brace yourself. Uh, Hopefully you can understand this. I'll try. Three is greater than two. <laughs> yeah, and then... All right, all right. You patronizing son of a bitch. <laughs> um, but still, when you look... Yes, three is more than two, and you say, oh, you just keep throwing these up, but the shot is significantly harder, as we saw in the years with a shorter line, even with players not making it. So at what point do teams finally figure out that taking this shot, even though it's a lower percentage, is is better from a strategy standpoint? Well, you know, a lot of this could be have to do with the personnel. So if you think about it, the NBA didn't adopt the shot until 79-80. College basketball didn't adopt the three-point shot until, I believe it was 86-87. 
So you've got this whole generation. I mean, you've got generations and generations of players who never had this shot. It was never part of the game for them, right? And so all of a sudden you're changing the rules on them. And I can sort of understand how there was this uh, hesitance to, to start shooting the three-pointer because it was just something that was foreign to them. They hadn't done it. Then when you start moving on into the, the late 90s, the early 2000s, now you have guys in the league who were pretty much born in the late 70s, early 80s. The three-point shot was sort of always there for them. It was yeah. always a part of their game growing up. And I, I think that probably had a big big role in, in, in the NBA sort of saying, hey, wait a second, you know, all these guys can shoot threes now. Three points are better than two points, so... Let's go for it. Let, let's you know. Let let's let's take these shots. Yeah. So the players, the players themselves, grew up shooting them. In, you know, throughout junior high, high school, and college. So by the time they got there, they had already had eighteen, twenty years or so of of practice. Right. Exactly. So and is it the? I mean, how much credit do we give the, the so-called analytics movement for popularizing the the three pointer in today's game? Because if you Search on StatMuse the most three pointers attempted by a team in the you know in NBA history. You look through the the stats and you see that it's all from re- very recent history. You know with uh, teams like the Rockets and the Warriors who are just heaving up threes at a at a crazy rate. So do we do we credit an, the analytics movement solely with figuring out the value of the three? I mean how much. How much validity do you think there is to that argument? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sort of removed from that that whole process. You were actually there though for for part of that, right? You were in Houston when this sort this philosophy of hey, let's shoot threes, let's get to the foul line, let's not shoot anything from like 20 feet inside the three point line. What did, was like when you were there? Was this? sort of an organizational push to say, hey, this is how we're going to play. I mean, well, you know, Daryl Morey never called me in and said, hey, what do you think about right. this? Of course. Hey, tw- hey, tw- hey, Twitter guy, we're going we're gonna to shoot 43s a game. Are you cool with that? And I would have been like, cool, Daryl, that's fine. But I don't know if in the early days it was as big of a deal as it was because when I started after, like post-lockout, they were do- they were doing it. They were heaving up the threes like crazy, but I don't know if, if everyone made as big a deal about it or if it took a little bit for people to realize what they were doing. And so kind of the good and bad with it, when when it was good, when they were making them, it was thrilling. It was exciting basketball. And you could be down 20 and in a couple minutes, you know, make a run just by getting hot with, with these threes. But the bad side of that is... Whenever it's not falling, whenever you have those bad nights, the offense just dies and just is so stagnant. And so the Rockets have been, you know, kind of criticized for adopting this approach and yet not putting anyone on their team that can hit the three with any regularity, you know, outside of James Harden in these last, you know, these last few years where he's been hitting it with at a pretty good pace. But even even then, he's shooting at one of the lowest percentages this season for a player who's attempted as many threes as he has. So, but he's still he's still like shooting what like thirty six or thirty seven percent, which is equivalent to get, making fifty four fifty five percent of your two pointers. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that's it's not bad. Yeah, and he yeah he's putting up numbers like crazy, but then 
the war it hasn't been until the warriors where it's been taken to this crazy other level and so i was reading about the espn the magazine had a their new issue as of the time we're recording this is all about the warriors and all about steph and they have this section in there where they talk about the appeal of the three-point shot from a fan's perspective right and talk about how when you watched michael jordan or david robinson or any of these guys back in the you know back in the day when we were growing up that you love watching them they're exciting players but there's no way in hell you can do what they do like as a as a kid growing up i had no aspirations whatsoever realistically that i would be able to fly and dunk like michael jordan it was just physically impossible but then kids these today they talk about them on the playground that that's instead of wanting to lower the rim and dunk like we used to they all are taking long threes and calling out steph curry you know after the they talk about after Steph's kind of game winner and double overtime against OKC when he just pulls up from 30 feet out like it's a regular jumper and wins the game, that the next day all these kids, that's what they're doing on the playground, that everyone wants to hit that shot. And so the problem with that is, yes, everyone can throw the ball up from 30 feet, but not everyone can make it like Steph does. Really? And what Steph's doing... Yeah, not every oh, that's... surprise, surprise. Not not everyone can hit forty percent of their thirty-five foot jumpers with with defenders on you. So the argument there, and we'll get into a little bit of Oscar Robertson and his his rantings, you know, maybe a little bit later talking about how Steph is ruining the game. But if you're if you're gonna defend that kind of argument even a little bit, the thing you can say is it's giving Steph is giving false hope a little bit, not just to kids on the playground, but to other teams who are like, you know, taking the Tobias Funke approach, saying, <laughs> "Well, this ha- this hasn't this ha- this hasn't worked for anyone else ever before, but maybe it could work for us." And thinking just because Steph can do this and Clay Thompson can do this, oh, we can do it as well. And while you can't attempt it. It's incredibly difficult, and Steph is a once-in-a-generation talent. A side note here: and Tobias Funke is a arrest is an Arrested Development reference. First oh three God, seasons are classic. If you have not watched them, go oh, okay, and do it. Okay, you do know it. All right, sorry, sorry. All right, I was about I was about to request a new podcast partner. I can't talk to a guy who doesn't who doesn't know that show. But we're good. All right, we're good. We can keep. I'm going. just making. I'm telling our audience though, like it, it is. Possibly if they don't the funniest get the reference, show I've I don't ever want seen. them listening to this show. I don't want them listening <laughs> to the show if they don't if they don't get that reference. Anyway, sorry. But so again, I want to talk a little bit more about the fans' perspective. Here's a question that may sound, you know, a little bit um, offensive to the uh, to the classic basketball mind. Okay. But I want to think about it for a little bit. Is a Steph Curry three more exciting than an MJ dunk or? Sean Kemp dunk. Which play is more exciting to watch as a fan? Okay, for me, uh, I actually yeah. like the three. Because here's why. When you see Jordan or Kemp going up, no matter what they do, I mean, you know it's two points. You know it's going to be two points, right? It's, 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 it's pretty much a given. When Steph puts the ball in the air, there's still that, that seed of doubt. Is that ball going to go in? And so when yeah. it does, right. it's just like this explosion. Like I can remember, 
the game against the Thunder you were talking about where, what, Steph tied the three-point record and he what, made 12 threes that game and he made some crazy shots at the end of the game to put it into overtime. Am I right here? I'm remembering this right, aren't I? Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, no, it was the one he hit that won the game was his 12th that tied the record. So it was just any, any yeah, he broke his season record that game too. Right, right. right? So yeah, I mean, yeah, that whole game was insane. So anyway, my point was like, uh, so I'm sitting on the couch, we're watching the game. My father-in-law is there. My younger son is there. My younger son loves basketball. And I mean, we're just like, we're going nuts. We're like, you know, screaming and clapping and just like, in disbelief. So I, I can't remember having that sort of reaction when watching a player dunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I, I was setting you up because I thought you were going to go the other direction, the more the traditional, you know, a dunk, a dunk is just badass and awesome, which it is. But, to, and I was thinking about it when a, a dunk happens, right? A dunk just happens. Bam, there's the dunk and you react. You can watch the watch the vine or the the gif replay and it's still awesome and badass you know but if when you're watching the game live it's almost blink and you miss it you, you know a dunk just sometimes materializes it's just there but when watching i was watching the game last night so when we were recording this it was the warriors last night just won their 70th game beating the the spurs and Every game with Steph this season, when he has the ball, no matter where it is, it's just, I find myself kind of tensing up a little bit, like in anticipation, because you don't know what he's going to do from any spot on the court. Whereas some of the other great players, um, if Shaq catches the ball on the wing, you just kind of wait because you know something else has to happen. If Even though Shaq was one of the most dominant and exciting players there was, he didn't have that that feeling that when Steph has the ball that anything can happen, right? And so whenever Steph has the ball from the moment he puts it on the ground and even when he releases, there's just kind of this, this, this bated breath in anticipation as that ball is flying through the air. And even though it's, you know, split second in the air, it's that that moment of just waiting. You know what's going to happen. What's going to happen. And then when he hits it, you you lose your well, right. Mind, and like, like it, even said. like okay, so this isn't Steph, but the co- college basketball Villanova North Carolina game. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. you know oh, my Jenkins God, yeah. takes that shot, and you're just for a split second, you're just you're sitting there like, oh my gosh, is this going to go in? Are they going to win the national championship? It's just it's like yeah, just, yeah it's, it's a sublime yeah, moment. And I, yeah, and I think that that feeling has kind of taken over and of course everything Steph's doing has exacerbated it quite a bit but just that that gasp of you know as that as that balls in the air and you see everyone in the arena and everyone on TV is kind of sharing and that's that that same moment so I think that kind of has a little bit to to do with it and why just from a fan perspective the three-pointer has become so much more exciting and um Maybe we'll get some pushback on that and say that a dunk is still the best thing. And we're not, you know, trying to take a dump on dunks here. But and I, I think that's part of the the communal experience of the of the three pointer has a, has a lot to do with it. So let's stop waxing poetically and get to let's get to Oscar Robertson. So Oscar Robertson, so who, yeah, who belongs in the uh, old folks' home for sports ex sports. Uh, Ex-athletes, along with uh, Goose Gossage and uh, numerous numerous yeah. others. Yeah, I I don't like hearing that kind of crap, especially from um, 
legends like him. Because Oscar Robertson, what I mean, easily a top ten best player of all time, right? Um, arguably, yeah, top ten, top so, fifteen, yes, yeah, yeah, somewhere, yeah. One of one of the one of the best ever. Dude put up insane numbers. We were just looking up um, with Russell Westbrook being going triple double crazy, and um, everyone comparing his seventeen that he has now to Magic Johnson had seventeen, and Magic had a season with eighteen. And but you look back, Oscar Robinson had a season. Right with 40, 41, yeah. 40 something triple double. He averaged. Dude, he averaged up, a triple double for the season. Dude put up insane numbers. So it's kind of sad. <laughs> I don't know if he's tarnishing his legacy by saying the things that he did. Well, about, I, mean, no, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. He, it's he just, can say whatever he wants at this point. It doesn't change what he did in the court, right? So it's just yeah. You, it's just another situation of old guy ranting that things were so much better back in the day and you kind of dismiss it a little bit but it became a news story you know and so much that we're talking about it today uh, to where you have i guess we have to ask the question is the proliferation of the three ruining basketball i think just from talking to you here i know i know your answer to that question and maybe in a few years we look back on it and say that it, it did ruin the game that everyone's just chunking up threes and now no one can make any shots who knows i i mean if it, i don't think i don't think that's going to happen yeah if it gets to the point where you know teams are chucking up 53s a game and shooting 30% that's that's not going to be good basketball to watch i, I you yeah. know I, I don't think we'll get to that point so i i think it's much ado about nothing and also i mean we have to remember and i say this respectfully steph curry is a freak i mean there's just never been anybody like him and i i think we should appreciate what he's doing without worrying about whether or not it's going to ruin the game i mean there's there's only one steph curry and hopefully basketball people are smart enough to realize that yeah okay they have steph we don't have a steph so we we can't do that we can't send a guy out there to shoot 11 threes a game because it's just not going to work so let's i don't want to bash on oscar robinson anymore we're all I'm getting I'm getting older and I feel myself kind of griping about things I don't understand that the kids like. So it it just happens. I know I I can already tell them to be that guy. Like uh what is it? Kid I don't understand kids to today. These kids going to uh concerts to see a DJ. Like just go they pay money and stand around and watch a DJ. I have kids and I didn't even realize that was music. a thing. Yeah, I don't like things like that. I don't understand. And I'll rally I'll rail about that and people call me an old man so i don't want to i don't want to bet you know bash on oscar robertson too much because oh my god i'm gonna be that guy just just wait season three of this podcast is just going to be nothing but me bitching about things i don't like we're already teetering pretty close to that as it is but i disagree completely with oscar robertson you know that I'm more excited about NBA games now just knowing when the whenever the Warriors are playing it's can't miss TV because of because of that what they bring to the game with the three-point shot. So respectfully disagree Mr. Robertson, you're a legend, but the three-pointer I think is here to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere and the game I think is eventually going to be better for it we may have some growing pains here a little bit as everyone is kind of adjusting to the curve that steph and the warriors have set but it's here to stay baby so let's kind of wrap this up a little bit i want to give one more 
one more quote from the New York Times back in the 70s when the three-point line first came in. This is from the Phoenix Suns coach at the time, uh, John McLeod, or John McLeod. It's, it's McLeod. I'm McLeod, okay, John McLeod. He said it about the three-point shot. It may change our game at the end of the quarters, but I'm not going to set up plays for guys to bomb from 23 feet. I think that's very boring basketball. With all due respect, Mr. McLeod, you were dead wrong. You were absolutely wrong about this. And it's not very boring basketball at all. And people are designing up plays for guys to to bomb from 23 feet. And the three-pointer and the institution of it fundamentally changed the game of basketball. And I I think for the better. I love the three-point shot. I love watching the Warriors bomb away like crazy. I think it is very exciting basketball. Justin, you agree? I have to agree with you. I think we agree too much, but yes, I, I agree with you. We do need to find a subject that we completely disagree on. I mean, maybe we'll do a podcast on politics or religion and just to, so we can argue about some things. Yeah, no. But I, I choose not to participate you don't want to in do that, that sort of thing. No. We don't have to let anyone listen to it. We can just we can just <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah, but the three-pointer is here to stay. Steph has changed the game. There's no going back. You know, he, the, the Joker says to Batman, you've changed things. Steph Steph is our Batman. I wasn't planning that comparison. Is that pretty good or is that, is that a cheesy, terrible way? So who's the it? Joker then? Is it, is it Kawhi Leonard? Is, is, uh, you know, he's, he's the one who's out to stop to stop no, the Joker Steph. is uh, the Joker is Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes. I don't think I, ha- I don't think I have to explain. I don't, have, I don't have to explain that one very much. Yeah, the Joker is Matt Barnes. All right, uh, so let's close this. I think we've we spent enough time rambling on about the three pointer, which we all love. Everyone's favorite shot, the three point shot. So thank you for listening. We're gonna have this. If you're listening on iTunes, please check out our blog. We're gonna embed some of the stats from StatMuse that correspond with what we've been talking about. And be sure to check in next episode where a little, little teaser here. Number one, yes, we're going to have a Star Wars theme. Something is going to awaken and it's going to have a little bit to do with the three-point shot and how someone or some players just tend to awaken at certain times. So we hope you didn't have your fill of us this episode and you'll join us next time. So thank you very much for listening. Sign up for an account on StatMuse and search to your heart's content. I'm Chad Shanks. He's Justin Kabatko. Bye-bye.